The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny. And uh, it is my great privilege to be the pastor here um, at CTK. So if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, we are continuing in our study of Jesus' kingdom parables. We're nearing the end. There's only a couple more left, a few more to, to take up. And then during the Advent season, we'll be looking at different passages from the book of Isaiah. But, but we continue in Jesus' kingdom parables. And as we've been in these parables, we've seen how Jesus is reorienting our understanding of the kingdom of God. He's given this, these teachings in the midst of his public ministry. He's responded to questions that have been posed to him. He's telling us that his kingdom will bring great joy, but also that there is judgment as well. He told us that his kingdom is marked by grace and by truth. And this morning, he's reorienting us again. He's challenging the presumption that maybe some of us have or, or that others may have about his kingdom and specifically about who it is that comes into the kingdom. Who's in and who's out? Who's invited and who's not? Who's brought in and who is left out? Well, to hear this, we need to read God's word, and it begins in verse 1 of chapter 22. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent others, other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we come to it acknowledging the fact that apart from you, apart from the work of your spirit, we will be blind to it. Our hearts will be hardened to it. Our minds will be dull and our ears will be clogged. And so we need your help. Father, I need your help so that my words would honor you. We need your help so that we would be attentive to your word. And so we ask Holy Spirit to work and move in this place, work and move in our midst. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So there was a season in my life when it felt like I was attending and being invited to wedding after wedding after wedding. I wasn't being invited as a pastor. I wasn't being invited to preside over the ceremony, to administer the vows. I was being invited as an attendee, as a guest. This season of my life was right after college. I'm sure many of you experienced the same sort of thing. Right after college, it seemed like all of my friends were getting married. Right? I was getting invitations come January and February for the summer months, and before long, the, wedding cal- the summer calendar was being filled with weddings. But to make matters worse, or, or better, I guess, depending on how you would look at that, uh, Kat and I worked in campus ministry, and so that prolonged this, and so we had lots of students that we were engaging with who, who were getting engaged, and they were getting married, and so we were getting invitation after invitation after invitation. And initially, it was fun. It was exciting, right? I mean, we, we were getting to go to weddings and getting to dress up and wear nice clothes and eat good food and drink good drink and see our friends getting married. And over time, after we started having kids, it meant that we got a free date, which was also really nice. Uh, but, but regardless, after a while, it re- we realized our summers were going away and we had to start to make assessments. We started to have to make determinations. Whose wedding would we go to? How would we decide? Where would we go? When would we say no? Right? When would we just simply send a gift and say, we love you, we support you, but we'll celebrate your wedding in coming months? Well, for a little while, the decision was easy. How well do we know them? How, how long of a drive? Are we in the wedding or not? It was pretty easy to assess some of these things, but, but every once in a while we get an invitation that told us that regardless of the distance and regardless of how well we knew the people, we were definitely going to the wedding. Like the wedding where the Atlanta String Quartet, Symphony String Quartet, played during the wedding. Like, we're not missing that one, right? (laughs) I've never heard them play. I only heard them that one time when they were at the front of the church as the bride was processing down. It was beautiful. Or like the wedding where the invitation came with a peacock feather in it. <laughs> I don't know if any of y'all have ever gotten a peacock feather in a wedding invitation, but, but there was a wedding that I presided over where that's what they sent. And so that told us, right, this wedding's going to be a little bit different than the others we've been to, right? There's going to be a little bit more, a little more posh, right? It's going to be a little more highfalutin. It's going to be very extravagant. And so when we knew we were being invited to weddings like that, well, Well, we cleared the calendar. We got the directions. We made sure we were going to attend because this was a party you didn't want to miss. And that's what's happening with this parable that Jesus tells us of. You see, when Jesus speaks of this parable, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast, but it's not just any wedding feast. It's not just any casual meal, a little bit of food, a little bit of wine. No, this is a feast that is put on by the king. And it's put on by the king to celebrate his son. And so, of course, it's going to be extravagant, right? Oxen, fatted calves, it's the king. He's going to bring in the best chefs from all over the land, and they're going to plan a menu that maybe people have never seen before and food that they've never tasted. And he's going to pull out the finest wine that he's been saving for that special occasion. It's going to be magnificent. And so the king sends out the announcement, come. It's time. Come, let's celebrate. He sends out the announcement, and those who are invited hear, the feast is ready. Come to the master's house and celebrate. And those who hear the invitation, they reject it. 
Did you see that? That the first response of the invitation to come celebrate the wedding of the, king, the king's son is to reject it. That's what we're told in verse 3. That the guests wouldn't come. But the king, he's persistent, right? And so he presses a little further. We're told in verse 4. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited. And to ev- tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. They wouldn't come. They rejected the invitation, and why? Because they're indifferent. They have indifference towards the king and his invitation. Now, before we go on, there's something we need to understand that's happening here. Because initially, it might sound like the king is just kind of springing this on them. Like they had no idea the wedding was coming or that this was the day of the wedding, right? Like the people go out and they say, hey, we're ready. Come on. You're supposed to drop everything. You're at my beck and call. Show up at the feast. That's maybe how it can sound. But what we need to realize is that culturally speaking, there would have been an invitation that went out previously. It would have been our version of a save the date kind of thing. And so they would have known the date. They just simply wouldn't have known the time. They would have known the wedding was coming. And so on the day of the wedding, they're supposed to be prepared. They're supposed to be ready for when the servants go out and say it's time to feast. Right? No clocks, no watches. This is the ancient Near East. Right? So they are supposed to wait. And once they hear it, they're supposed to come. They're supposed to plan their day around it, to be ready to come. And so this isn't being dropped on them. They knew that it was coming. It's not being dropped on them. This is why in verse 3 we're told that they went to those called who had been invited. They'd already received the invitation. They knew about the wedding. They just needed to be prepared. And even though they already knew, even though they were expected to be prepared, they are still indifferent. They paid no attention to the announcement. One goes to his farm, another to a business, right? One needs to check on his crop, the other the sales from the day. They're busy with other things and they couldn't be bothered. You see, they either don't realize how magnificent this feast is going to be, or they are so engrossed with themselves that they can't imagine the wonderful offer that the king has made. They're indifferent. And because they're indifferent, they reject the offer. They reject the invitation. But that's not the only group that rejects the invitation. It's not just those who are indifferent. There's also those who are hostile. We read that in verse 6, right? As those who are indifferent went back to their lives, we read, the rest seized the servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. So the first group of people are rude and disrespectful. But this second group... They show hatred towards the king. You see, by them killing the servants, by them abusing the messengers of the king, they are actually speaking, they are rebelling, and they are showing hostility towards the king himself. It's an act of rebellion and hostility towards his kindness. And the king responds to this hostility in verse 7. He was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and judged and burned their city. 
He brought judgment on those who rejected him. He brought judgment on those who rebelled against him. And friends, what Jesus is telling us is clear. That God's punishment, God's judgment, it will be against those who reject him. That whether it's by indifference or hostility, his punishment is real. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, they understood this clearly. You see, contextually speaking, this passage is coming right off of the heels, right on the heels of a conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. In the previous chapter, Jesus is dialoguing with them. He's discussing with them the nature of the kingdom. And he says to them, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, you Jewish leaders, and given to the people producing its fruit. And then after, he gives this parable. And so it becomes clear that Jesus is declaring that any rejection of Jesus, even by religious leaders, even by those who come from Israel, even from those who have maybe grown up hearing the promises of God and reciting them, that if even those, if they reject the invitation to celebrate the Son, they too will be rejected. And the Pharisees understood this. They knew that Jesus was speaking directly to them. It's why before and after this parable, they were trying to arrest him. The ones who were hostile towards the king were the leaders of the day. Now, I imagine that most of us in this room, if you're coming to church, you're coming on a Sunday morning and you're sitting here, you're, you're probably not those who are hostile towards the gospel. I've met people who are, who are antagonistic towards grace and towards Jesus and towards the gospel. And, and I imagine if you're here on a Sunday morning, that's probably not you. But what about indifference? I mean, I know we're here, but are you really here? And why? Is it because of guilt? Is it because uh, you feel like you're duty-bound? Is it because someone drug you here? Is it because this is just what you're supposed to do? Are you indifferent? Or are you coming to celebrate? To celebrate the Son. To celebrate the King who has invited us. You see, those who reject, whether it be because of hostility or indifference, they they will feel God's punishment. They will know it in the last day. But those aren't the only characters in our parable, are they? See, there aren't just those who reject the invitation. There are also those who attend. We see them in verses 8 through 10. Then he said to his servants, Jesus, or the king says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And so the symbolism's clear, right? The wedding hall, the banquet hall, it's, it's a symbol of God's presence, of being welcomed into his kingdom of, of heaven itself. And those people who are called in aren't the people that maybe everyone expected would be invited, but the people who fill the hall are those people who are not worthy who didn't deserve to be them, who we would have never expected to be at the feast. Right? I mean, the ones on the road, 
the ones on the road, these are the ones that the religious leaders would have just simply seen as riffraff, as, as the people who were in power would have ignored. These would have been the people that others passed by. And yet they're the ones that are brought in. They're the ones who come to celebrate. They're the ones who drop everything, everything. Remember, they didn't get the initial invitation. They didn't know it was the day of the wedding feast. And so when the word goes out, come into the banquet, they drop everything to come and celebrate and to experience just a glimpse, a, a taste of the king's grace and generosity. These are people who didn't deserve to be there. I mean, put yourself in their shoes, right? As, as the servants are going out, right? You've, you've probably seen these servants before every day, maybe. They've walked by you. They've never given you notice, right? They've never given you any kind of attention. And now they're saying, hey, the king wants you. The king wants you. Come with me. The king, the king has a feast. Come and eat. I mean, you, you would double take, right? Like, no, 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 you mean that guy, right? Uh, there is no guy. Oh, no, you must mean those other people, right? You, you, you must have meant her, not, not me, right? I mean, that's, that's how you would respond. If you were one, one of those on the road, you would respond with, with just amazement that you would be invited. I'm one of the ones that the leaders call bad. I'm not deserving. And that's the point. That is the point. They're not deserving. They're not invited because of their worth or because of their value or because of their influence or because of their power. They're invited simply because of the king's generous grace. And friends, the same is true of us. It is not because of your knowledge or your piety or your religious credentials, or the letters after your name that God invites you to celebrate his son. It is only because of his grace. The grace that he clothes us in. You see, it is his grace that we wear, that we are clothed with. That is the garments that we put on. Well, there's still one more person we need to look at and think about in this parable. There's a person who attended, but he's actually cast out. He's one who heard the invitation. He showed up, but, but he's kicked out. And this man, he's not wearing a wedding garment. So what are we to make of this? Like, is he just not, you know, it's like he should have been wearing Brooks Brothers and he was wearing the rack, you know? Like, is that what's going on here? Like, what are we to make of this? Well, it is about clothing. It's just not about the clothing that you're thinking about. You see, to understand what's going on here, we need to understand a couple things. We need to understand one thing culturally, and we need to understand some things biblically. So culturally speaking, we know that there were times when there would be an occasion, a feast, a celebration, where there would be people who would come to the feast, and the king would actually give them garments to wear. So in an occasion like this, probably, where the people who hear of the invitation, hear of the feast, they don't have time to go home. And there are also people who are on the roadside, so they may be too poor to even have the proper wedding attire. And yet when they show up at the wedding feast, they would have been given garments by the king. Think about like at that restaurant. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a restaurant that has a dress code. Like a legit dress code, not just like a no shirt, no shoes, no shirt, no service. <laughs> but like a real one. 
So I went to one of these once with some friends, and, and you had to wear a collared shirt, and I happened to be wearing a collared shirt that day, but the friends that I were with were wearing T-shirts. Now, they were nice T-shirts, okay? Like, I don't think there's dress T-shirts, but that's what these would be. Like, they didn't say Old Navy, okay? But they show up wearing T-shirts, and, and the maitre d' or the, the hostess, whoever it is that, that greeted us at the door, look at them and say, you can't wear that here. But instead of kicking them out, instead of sending my friends away, they said, here, we have a coat for you. And so my friends had to wear a coat that was provided by the restaurant the entire time that they were there. That's what's going on here. You see, the people, they show up at the feast, and they don't have the right garments, and so the king provides them the garments that they are to wear. So culturally speaking, we know that this would have occurred from time to time. But biblically speaking, we also know and we have passages where God speaks about clothing his people. Like Ezekiel chapter 16, where we're told that God will clothe his unworthy people and he will supply them with garments. Or the picture that we have in Revelation, the picture of those who are in heaven who are awaiting the wedding supper of the Lamb. And how are they clothed? In white robes that have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. They've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Now, normally we know blood doesn't clean, right? It stains, it leaves a mark, it leaves a blot on a clean garment. But Christ's blood, Christ's blood washes us clean. It washes away all of our sin. And so that the saints in heaven are donning robes of white that have been made white by his blood. And so the picture, the image that we are given there is clear. They are clean and they are white robed because of Christ's righteousness. They are clothed in his righteousness, in the robes that have been given to them. And so when we see, culturally speaking, that the king would have given robes, garments to his attendees, and that biblically speaking, God will clothe his people, we see the problem now, don't we? We see the problem with this last character, the one who entered the feast and sought to partake of the banquet, who had no garment. The problem is, is that he has rejected the garment given to him by the king. He is coming not with the garment provided by the king, not by Christ's righteousness, but he comes with his own garments. And because of that, he is treated like those who first rejected the offer in the first place. He's like those who rejected the king's invitation, except he doesn't reject the invitation because of hostility or indifference. His rejection is based on his own righteousness. He rejects the king's generosity and lives as though he doesn't need it. He thinks in of himself he is enough. And friends, this is where most of us should take heed. This is the warning for probably the vast majority of us. Because the truth is, is that I don't think that we're actually, most of us, in danger of hostility or indifference to the gospel. Where we may struggle, where we may be in danger, is coming before the Lord in our own righteousness. And we've seen Jesus actually take this up a few times in the parables, haven't we? Like in the soils, where two of the soils looked like it had fruit, but the fruit went away. Or the weeds that were growing up amongst the wheat... It appeared that there was a good and right response, but 
but it became clear that they were but weeds. This is where we need to examine our own hearts. And we need to ask, are are we clothed in the righteousness of Christ or in our own? Because Jesus says that many are called, but few are chosen. That's how he summarizes this parable. Many are called, but few are chosen. And so how do you know if you've been chosen? Well, maybe a couple diagnostic questions as we close. One question we should ask is, whose clothes are we wearing? And of course, I'm not talking about suits and evening gowns and jeans and khakis or wingtips versus flip-flops. That's not what we're talking about. But when we approach the Lord, are we wearing the clothes of our own righteousness or Christ's? And the second question, what is your response to the invitation? Is it presumption? Of course I would be invited. Of course I would be invited. I mean, I've heard the promises from my earliest of days. I can recite them. Of course I was invited. I'm, I'm a member of Christ the King Presbyterian Church. Of course I was invited. I read systematic theology and tomes, and I'm up to date on all the current goings on. Of course I was... Right? Do we have that presumption before the Lord? Or is it humbly saying... Why would I be invited? Why me? You see, friends, those who know that they are the ones on the roadside, the ones who should be passed by, they, they will know that the invitation is not because of their own righteousness, because of their own works, because of their own garments. They will know it is only by God's grace. They will be those who sing While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us will cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? You see, those who have been called and who have heard and have entered into his presence and do so only by his righteousness will ask the question, why me. Not why them. Not why him. Not why her. Why, why me? And we'll know the answer. The only answer. The grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace. The grace that is showered even to me, is given even to me, and given to all of your people. And so I pray, Father, that we would be mindful of that, that we would be humbly, we'd be humble servants before your throne, and that we would know that we only stand before your throne, we only come before you, we only enter into your presence by your grace. And so let us celebrate, let us celebrate the grace that you have given. Make us people who rejoice at what you have done. Make us people who know that it is only by your grace and grace alone that we come to you. Make us a kingdom people celebrating the Son. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name and all God's people said together, Amen.